Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest, Steve Zakawani, who, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this an attempt. Former player, former coach, former motivational speaker. You had your own. You have your own charity. You organize a, a massive charity football game. You uh, are a documentarian, a movie producer, a music producer. Uh, you're doing a podcast. Your color commentary, your sideline commentary, your play-by-play, your podcasting, your blogging. What am I missing? Am I missing anything? Author. Author. I knew I missed one. <laughs> Published author. <laughs> no, it's crazy. It's a long list. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, you know, I wanted, that's part of why I wanted to talk to you is just that I am, I'm amazed. Like when you got into the, when you came to the United States, when did you come in the United States? 2007 or so? Yeah, 2007. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever in your ima- imagination, you were probably just like, if I could just get a few more years of football and maybe keep my pro dream going, right? Yeah, exactly that. It was initially, you know, I went to Akron, Ohio for college. It was play four years of college and then try, you know, to get into the draft that way and see what happens. And if that didn't work, then I'd have a degree and whatever I can fall back on. So, yeah, I didn't think, you know, back back then when I came, the Sounders weren't even an MLS team. So I wasn't thinking about any of this, obviously. Um, But it just ended up working out really well for me. So when, so even, I would imagine even those early years, the idea of like expanding your resume was probably never on your mind, but at what point in your career did you start to think like, and I would imagine some of this stuff just happened and it wasn't necessarily this big picture plan, but at what point did you just start, like, did, like, did yes, just become a standard answer to whenever someone asked you to do something new or you got yeah. an, an idea to do something? Yeah, no, good question. So it was honestly, none of what I'm doing, I really planned when I was playing. And I think most of my teammates, I know for sure I've spoken to Schmetz about this. They wouldn't have thought that you know, I would be the person to go on TV or to do um, coaching, things like that. Because when I played, I was very focused on what I needed to do. I was a young player when I played for the Sounders early on. Um, so I wasn't even like you know, the most vocal guy in the locker room. You know, I kind of, you know, I was cool with everyone, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't give the pregame speeches. Maybe I did once a year or something. So I wasn't the guy that you'd think, you know, would want to be in front of a camera to analyze a game or to be a coach and lead my team. I never thought about any of that. I just thought of playing, improving, trying to get better. And then it was probably just when I was, you know, because I retired very early. And, you know, I always think back to that now and I'm like, well, I could have maybe played another six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I would have, but I wouldn't have been the player I wanted to be. And for me, it was just a case of I don't want to just be a guy that's on a roster, um, you know, reminiscing about what they can no longer do because their body hurts. So 
at that point, when I retired, it was ironic because it was the same year that Terry Henry retired and Landon Donovan retired. And, you know, they kind of took the news, the headlines, which was great. I was able to kind of just do it quietly. And, you know, I did have conversations with a few different people that had retired. And one of the things that I was told was just don't put any pressure on yourself to find the next thing now. Just wait, um, you know, try a few things. So I did like some private coaching. Um, the sounders reached out, said, you know, what do you want to do? And, you know, I said, no, I, is there some work in the academy? Is there different things? Then I end up doing broadcasting just on a trial basis. Um, they got me involved with podcasts with Nick Fershaw and Will Parchman back then. So I just sort of began to build things that way. Um, I'd done my book for myself, almost like as a self-healing therapy thing. So things just developed from that. And then the broadcasting I began to enjoy. Um, first, it was weird because when I first started, I played with most of those guys and, you know, covering, you know, Evans and Alonzo and Zach Scott. And uh, these are friends of mine um, it was, and Ziggy and whoever. It was tricky. So now it's a lot easier because I have not played with anyone on this team. Um, I know some of the guys, obviously, but um, yeah, it's been easier. But it kind of just happened. I just, one thing after another, I just, you know, wanted to try things and do different projects. But I can't say that when I was a player for the Sounders that my personality or the person I was was someone that, you know, thought I'd be in the media world. Like, you know, I didn't mind doing interviews after games or things like that, but I wasn't someone that was like the face of the, the voice of the team in that way at all. I didn't think so anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm impressed every time I see you do something new because you're good at every, I mean, like, and I don't, I'm not trying to just like build you up, but like I was listening to the highlights from the other day when you did play by play, play by play is not easy. Like I, I have like in my head kind of thought about like, Oh, this would be interesting. And every time I think about actually trying to do it, even like on my own as just to kind of play around with, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Uh, what, like what, how, like walk me through the process of that opportunity presenting itself. And I have to imagine it wasn't an immediate. Yes. No. So play-by-play -play is tough. It's much tougher than being an analyst. But I think as an analyst, you're just reacting to what's happening. You know, you don't really have to prepare a bunch of like um, the fillers, the stats and people's backgrounds. And you don't need to know that. You just have to describe what's happening, try to communicate to the viewer. You know, this is why in the last 10 minutes, Seattle's been effective. They're doing this. You, you can try in that way. So, you know, our producer, Ryan Shaber, had approached me and says, look, there may be an opportunity for the playoff game um, to do a play-by-play on radio on Tuesday. So this was probably on a Thursday or Friday, he called me and he goes, you know, do you want the weekend to think it over? And I said, yeah, I'll need it because, you know, play by play, it's just different, especially radio. That made me a bit nervous because on TV, they can see radio. You have to be way more descriptive. I can't just say, you know, Nico Ladero with the ball. I've got to say Nico Ladero with the ball at the midfield line. Like you have to really describe where they are. So I said, yeah, let me think about it. And then, you know, I, got off the phone then I you know spoke to Keith and a couple other people that do play by play and was just like yeah you know what do you think about this and they were all very encouraging just try it why not so that night I called him back was like let me just I just let me just do it because if I left it any longer I just talked myself out of it and I was like no just do it we'll see how it goes and then and then yeah I said I told him yes and then I spent Saturday and Sunday I mean prepping I, I don't do that much prep for my usual stuff because I used to, and it used to mess me up. And I think like when we come to our production meetings, Casey brings out his binder and his briefcase, so does Keith and everyone. I don't have notes because I don't want, because I, I hate rehearsing lines. I hate thinking I want to make this point. I just go there. I've done my research on the opponent. I know who's who. I know a little bit of the matchup between the guys. Then I just talk from what I'm seeing. So this was different. I came with a lot of prep, 
I spent several hours at my house just really prepping, prepping, prepping. And it ended up being a good experience, but it's tough. It's very, very tough. I respect those people that do it a lot more now. So when you started getting into the media side of things, I would imagine the way you looked at the game evolved. Like you probably came into it very much in a, I'm guessing as a former player. And at some point you probably transitioned into like a a more, you know, like an analyst would. You're not talking about your, like you mentioned, you're not talking about your ex-teammates anymore. You're talking about, you know, just players. Yeah, it's very different. I think with every passing game, every year, it it feels different. Because before, I definitely viewed it through a player's lens. and It just gives you a different perspective. And, you know, as a player, when you're playing, sometimes, you know, the coach might call you out on something and say, you know, and you always think you're right because you're like, no way. Like, you know, that wasn't open when I was there. But when you view the game from bird's eye view and you're viewing and you see so many um things that players just miss because they just don't have that view that vantage point and it's a challenge to not be too critical because I also was once on the pitch making those very same mistakes they're making because you just don't see it so I began to understand that that, yeah the the, the game of football is something that um I really enjoy breaking down I enjoy analyzing I enjoy trying to guess what a certain team's going to do I love when I see, you know, Schmetz have a conversation with Gonzo and then we see it happen on the pitch. They'll, they'll, they'll change Jordan from the left to the right. Whatever it is, little tweaks. I love seeing um, that stuff and then trying to explain um, to the listeners what exactly is happening and I'm learning as it's going. So I think right now I definitely feel more like an analyst. I don't feel like a former player that's kind of trying to do it. I feel like an analyst. I know kind of um, what my strengths are. I'm in that role. And yeah, the separation from the guys has been good because I just had too many people that I shared a locker room with that I socialized with. Um, and now that's not the case. Now I know these guys, I respect these guys. Um, some of them are friends, but it's not people that I spent every day with for several years. None of them, except from the coaches, like Brian Schmetz, Tom Dutra, and those guys and the front office. But players, there's not one player there that I ever shared a pitch with. So you, uh, one of the things that, you, that you've said over the time, over time is you've really kind of, I don't want to say defended, because I don't know that Brian Schmetzer needs defending, but you've yeah. kind of spoken up for his tactical acumen. And, and I think a lot of people, especially on in outside media, don't always appreciate the finer points of what he's doing. Yeah. And I'm just curious, what is it that you think people miss about Brian and, and why do you think he doesn't get more appreciation from the the national press it's weird i i think there is a thing that people have against seattle and i think it's because our fans because our people were so proud of seattle when we first came into the league we ruffled a lot of feathers the way we did things and we weren't shy about saying we had the best fans we had the best this best that and i think that just turned a lot of people off the wrong way and there's this kind of and because it's not just um schmetzer i think chad marshall was criminally underrated Stephen Fry still doesn't get the respect he should get. And I just sometimes wonder why that is. People are still arguing with me when I talk up for Jordan Morris. And I'm like, I literally watch this kid every week. Like, what is what more do you want him to do? So I think there's a bit of that. Schmetz falls into that. For me, Schmetz, I have a soft spot because even back then, I've given him credit when I was like my rookie year, even back then, he was doing a lot of the tactics. Like Ziggy managed the group. 
But in terms of working with the attackers and like some of the, the finishing drills we did in training, that was all Brian Schmetzer. Like he would take me, especially he was a left-sided player when he played. So he would take me um, after session sometime and just work with me and give me before games. He always come in to, to my locker and give me a couple points. He goes, today focus on this or here's what their right back does. He always was someone who thought the game and he taught me a lot. And so when I've worked and I remember when, the 2015-2016 season, whenever it was that Ziggy left, 2016 season, a um, couple months before Ziggy left, sitting with Schmetz at the airport and we're flying back from a game and just saying to him, like, look, I really hope one day you get your own squad. I want to see what you would do. And I could see the wheels in his brain spinning at that time. None of us knew it would be so soon. And I just think he doesn't get the credit because there's some coaches that we just pinpoint as this is the tactician. When Tata Martino came, everyone spoke about how we played. Um, Caleb Porter has that reputation a little bit. Bob Braddock, I think it was those coaches lead their press conferences with their philosophy or their ideas and they, Schmetz doesn't do that Schmetz always right. gives credit to Jimmy to Gonzo to other people when he actually I mean he's built this, Seattle's very good like um, and I, I, I watch a lot more MLS now like other teams as well than probably at any point and Seattle's a fan it's a really good team it's a really really good football team that they constantly do well every year the coach has to be doing something great so right. he wins a lot he tweaks his tactics when it counts I mean I just think he's someone who, his personality is team first, um, give others credit first, that works against him. Um, I've only ever seen him fired up once, and that was me last year when they were playing LAFC. I watched the warm-ups from the bench. I sat next to Schmitz the entire warm-up before the Western Conference um, um, final against LAFC, and I said to him, I said, look, if you win today, that's, you know, you're going to be in two finals in the last three years or whatever and I said I don't, I don't think you get credit and I think he got a little bit fired up and I think he mentioned after the game so normally he doesn't think about that stuff I think he just comes to work does his job loves Seattle and does the best for the team and the franchise but he, his record's unbelievable his team plays really good football um, the players seem to like him a lot so I, I just and I know him personally and I've worked with him and He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And I don't know why there's a reluctance to give someone who's on the verge, potentially, of being in their fourth final in five years, like MLS Cup final. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you, you look at his his record. Like I, I've been marveling at this. He's 14-3-2 in the playoffs. I mean, that's, you know, that's a... That's amazing. He, he's winning 75% of his playoff games against, obviously against other playoff teams. It's, it's, it's just unprecedented, a level of sustained success. And I do, th- I, I, I'm, I agree with you. I think a big reason that he doesn't get more credit is that he's not someone who comes into the press conference with the idea that I'm going to show you how much I know. And he just, he, he's not, he's not trying to impress us. He's much more interested, I think, in having a relationship with the press than he is in having this one way kind of, uh, of, re- of respect. And, yeah. you know, like, and, I, like I was always impressed that when I'd hear these stories, but like one of the stories I would hear about Caleb is that he would pull uh, members of the press aside and like actually sit down and break down film with them. So kind of to show them just oh, yeah. how much he knows. Right. Oh yeah. And that's, that's a great way for kind of building up your legend. And I, and Caleb's clearly a very smart uh, soccer coach, but like Brian isn't doing that. He's not pulling. No. And, and, and that's to his credit. I think he's not, he, yeah. he lets the, he kind of wants to show you more than he wants to tell you. And I appreciate yeah. that about him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what is something, what is it about him that players seem to really like though? Cause he clearly gets a lot out of players. He is real and relatable. So um, he, he's someone who 
you you know where you stand with Schmetz once you get to know him. Um, as a young player, I didn't think he liked me very much my first year. And I, and I realised later that's just how he treats all young players. He's very, very hard on you. When you're a rookie for the Sounders, no matter if you're the number one pick or someone who came in the fourth round, um, he's very hard on you. And he wants you to be the first one out to training. Like, he would be pissed at me if um, Casey Keller or Zach Scott or whoever were out on the training pitch before me. Because he's like, that's unacceptable. You should be um, being out there. These guys are established pros. They've had careers. You're trying to... So, he's someone who would always set kind of the standard of what the Seattle Sounders are. Um, one of my memories with him was our Open Cup game against Portland in one of the years, 09 or 2010, one of them. And Ziggy would always give... The, the team talk the day before the scout meeting, Ziggy would speak, but that day they let Schmidt speak. And just the emotion that he spoke with about this rivalry that was new to a lot of us at the time, I was like, wow, like, well, we were ready to run through a ward right at that moment because he got us going as the assistant coach. And so I've seen him in training, you know, doing a drill and Eddie Johnson or someone like that, strong personality, might complain and they'll yell and Schmetz will yell back and they'll get in each other's face and they'll yell and Schmetz gives as good as he's got. And then five minutes later, they're hugging it out, you know, drinking coffee together in the lunchroom. So he's someone who I think players just respect. You're going to get what you see is what you get. He's very direct to the point and he tries to be fair, I think. I think he's, his struggle as a first team coach is, as the head coach, you have to be a little bit more distant from the players and kind of let Gonzo and Jimmy do the day-to-day talking to players. And, and I think that's hard for him because I think he's naturally someone who wants to speak to the players, put his arm around Jordan and speak to Christian and stuff. But as a head coach, he's managing a group of 30 players. It's very tough to focus on each individual. So that's maybe the one area where I think he misses being an assistant. But players just like Schmetz, I remember talking to Clint even at one point and just like, no, it's not like they were best friends or anything when Clint played here, but Clint respected him because, you know, Schmetz would tell him how it is, whether they agreed or not. And Clint rarely agreed with anybody, but whether he, <laughs> whether he agreed or not, he respected him because Schmetz would tell you what it is. So I think the guys um, buy into that um, a lot. He's someone who he's just very real. Um, he'll tell you what it is. He speaks very bluntly and he's just honest. And I think I, I've had situations with Schmetz where we've disagreed on maybe my performance from a game when we're watching film together. Um, and it's fine, we can disagree, but he's not going to change his mind just because I don't like it. So um, it, it, yeah, I respect him a lot. I respect him a lot. So I'm just going to put you on the spot a little bit here. You think he's uh, he's going to be back? Yeah, I, I, I'd i say I'm 90% certain. And this is just from a gut instinct. I don't see a situation where the soundest hierarchy can let him walk away. And it's kind of yeah. crazy because, you know, the, the guy who kind of you can compare him to, I guess, is Greg Vanny. They've kind of had the same trajectory um, the past few years, both doing really great work. And Greg's left, so it can happen. I just, I, I, I think Schmetz needs to leave the Sounders um, on his own terms. And when, and he'll know when the team's no longer responding to him, when the results aren't there. I think he's honest enough to say, you know what? They need a new voice. I've been there too long. It's time to go. That's not the time now. They're still building. I think this team who's like on a four or five year cycle has one more really good year in them. And then you maybe start thinking about, okay, who we need some real new fresh blood. But I think, you know, Nico, Raul, Jordan, Christian, Steph, Yamar, Joplin, that core has at least another strong year. Yeah. In I'm with you. I, I, the, the sense I get is that clearly Brian wants to be back. You know, it sounds like the Sounders want him back. And as long as those two things are, pushing in the same direction hard to imagine them not figuring this out and it and it and if anything i think this is one of those situations where brian's whole deal works against him a little bit because he 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 makes it obvious he wants to be here so why are the sounders gonna 
push something forward when they've got a million other things to work on like they know they can get away with waiting until yeah. the end of the season yeah, absolutely and yeah. and and that doesn't mean they're not gonna give him a good deal or whatever but like i just think it's in some cases he might make it a little too easy to uh yeah to put it off but yeah uh, i'm with you um i'm also hoping that it at least my sense is whoever replaces brian whenever that is whether it's in two or three or ten years from now i would i really would like to think that it's going to be someone from within the organization uh because i think i've really come to believe that there's something special about what the sounders organization represents right now and i would hate and i I suppose at some point that's going to have to change and lots of huge organizations go outside of their own kind of comfort zone but man i would think you gotta kind of especially when you've got guys like jimmy and gonzo that are on staff and precky it feels like someone in that group you'd like to think would be his i think i think think gonzo is the one that i kind of my mind always goes to just from yeah. you know I didn't, I didn't play with him but i got to know him quite well and yeah just the way he is and spending time with him i think he's the one that would be he, he, he would be a really good head coach i think at this club i think they'd all do a good job Perky's obviously been a head coach jimmy would be good i think gonzo's the one that i think would be a very good head coach i would love to see schmetz do another three four five years i would love to see it um if the team stays high i don't see why not um in modern sports it's tough to stay at a job for that long but i think if he keeps being successful i, I don't see why not right. i think by then yeah i just think it will be i would like to see someone sound is connected there is something about the sound is just just you look at any club that just has never missed the playoffs i mean one day that will be broken one day but yeah. there is something about anyone who plays at the club you kind of just know there's a there's a certain there's certain things we don't accept um inside that locker room certain there's a baseline of effort baseline of care baseline of what kind of teammate you need to be and i think they've got really good at guys who don't live up to that standard they get shipped out right away they don't last very long we were very slow in the past but now there's a standard there and i think schmetz is the standard bearer so i think him being at the helm just makes sense yeah i there's something that always comes back to me that i remember i feel like it must have been 2018 when when the sounders were kind of closest to the when they were struggling a little bit early on and and christian roldan said something like like it was after a loss to the i want to say it was after a loss to the timbers and he said something like the season's slipping away from us and in some ways it already has but we can't think like that we have to like we're the sounders this is the expectation and just the belief like the constant belief that no matter how bad it gets the expectation is that we're going to get back on that. We're going to, you know, we're going to put together a nine game winning streak yeah. and we're going to surge into the playoffs or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I, and I don't think there's a lot of, especially in MLS, there's just not a lot of organizations that think like that, that failure just is not an option uh, that no. it's not okay to just be like, well, we'll, we'll focus on next year. No, it's a standard. We had it in 2010 when the first half of the season we were terrible and I think we'd won just a couple of games. And then, you know, there was a couple of changes. Lundberg left, Blaise Kufo came, Flaco yeah. came. And then we went on a really good run into the playoffs that was ended by the Galaxy that year. But I remember that year being in the middle of a crazy run, we won the Open Cup, we won like 10 of our last yep. 15 games, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then it's happened multiple times since. So, no, there is something. There is, and it's some of the personalities. It depends on your leadership. We had Casey, who was someone who, you know, you couldn't relax in training when he was on your team. And you couldn't. And I think guys like Steph, um, Christians definitely stepped into that role as well. They do it in their own way. And the main one is Nico. I think that is the greatest signing in club history because... 
I, I, I spent the last two weeks trying to figure this guy out and I can't figure out Nico yet. So I'm trying to work out why he's so effective because I, I can't, I don't understand it. I've never seen a DP that runs this much, works this hard, just, just keeps going, really cares, wants to be here. And it's not that, I don't think Nico's, like there's some skills he has that I can name other number 10s that are better than him at those things, for sure. But Nico's kind of good at everything Mm-hmm. And then he does it all well. And he always, always performs in the big games. That's where him and Raul, I think, are beginning to separate themselves from everyone else we've ever had. Because every big game, they're usually there. They usually make a difference. And I think when you have a leader like Nico, stand, I mean, you, you can't be a rookie or double or whoever and not run. The captain, the best player, is running more than anyone in the entire league. I have to run. So I think that kind of standard goes through the rest of the club. Yeah, I, I will say that the thing that has always stood out to me, and I feel like Garth has maybe even articulated this, is that when your best player is also your hardest working player, it sets a standard that forces everyone to raise not just the quality of their game, but the quality of their preparation, their seriousness of their preparation, that they don't feel like they can take a break in training because the best, if if he's you know if he's working that hard if he's putting in all these miles at training then who am i not to do it right yeah no and 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 it's it's obviously not quite that simple but it's i I think that's a big part of it and i don't know it's it's pretty amazing uh you mentioned though that you think this this core has at least another year in it how this team it's a shame that the season is so disjointed and yeah. shortened because I really do think this was a special yeah. group and, and I guess they could still go on and have a special season, but it's, it's inevitably, I think going to get lost a little bit in the craziness yeah. of the year. But how, I mean, how good do you think this team is like, what, like, this, is anyone yeah. else in MLS really have a, like, assume like, I don't know, is, are they the most talented team in MLS right now? Yeah. That's a, the, the crazy thing is I think, on paper, at least, we've had as talented or if not more talented teams even just on paper. But the fit for this team is perfect. I think it's the first year where I can honestly look at the pitch and say there is an Osvaldo Alonso replacement. I think Joao Paulo has been better than I thought to the first year because Ozzy was just special in his prime. I think um, there's there's a, a clear replacement there, someone who can do that job very, very well. Um, then you have people like Christian who no matter what position he plays in, you're going to get at least a seven um, and then usually eight or a nine out of 10 as well. Um, Jordan, you know, he, I'm probably the most critical of Jordan on the whole team just because I know how good he can still be. Like I watch him, he's, he's very good already. I've already called him the second most dangerous player in the league after Carlos Vela and people didn't like that, but he is, he just is. Like just yeah. in terms of danger, he just is. And he can still be way better. He can be way, way better, which is scary. You see moments, right? Like yeah. in that, yeah. in the game this last week, Dallas, there must've been two or three little moments exactly. where yeah. you just wanted to be a little bit more selfish. Yeah. Or you, you just wanted still, to be. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. He can still get better. Um, Nico, Raul, I mean, the core is there. At the back, Yema, what a signing he's been. Um, then you have O'Neill and Ariaga. I mean, they could, it's, it's a strong team. Nuhu, I think, is a top five left back in the league now. If he sorts out um, more consistency in the attacking um, third, I mean, he's a, for me, he's a star. I mean, I don't, I don't see why you... Brad Smith and Joven have a lot of work to do because Nuhu's gone in there, he's taken his chance. He's seen the club bring back Joven, bring back Brad Smith. He's up to his level and he's playing at such a high level right now. Um, Alex Rodan as well. I mean, I love Kelvin. There's no difference when Alex Rodan plays. There just isn't a difference. And I, I really love Kelvin. So 
it's a solid team, top to bottom. The only guy I think they can't replace, like I think they could replace Raul. And what I mean is Raul may go down as the best striker in club history, and I wouldn't argue that. But Will Bruin gets you 10 goals a year in a full season. Will Bruin has been a 10. So you, you, you'll find goals, and Will Bruin sits on the bench. Um, the only guy you can't replace is Nico. That's the yeah. one guy, if you missed him for 10 games, you will struggle because he controls the entire way the team plays, where everyone moves, how they react. It's him. So he's the glue. He's the one that you can't. And Steph, I would say, everywhere else, there's depth. There's good depth as well. Yeah. You, can, you can absorb losses for three or four games. So it's a team that in a normal non-pandemic year would have been a supporter shield challenging team. It's a team that could still win MLS Cup. And I think it's a team that you'll start to see people leave, I think, in a couple of years. Like, you know, the question mark now on Jordan is, does he want to go to Europe? I would love to see it. Um, is Christian going to have opportunities? You know, how long can we ha- hold on to Raul? Some of the, Mark, these guys, some of those questions will start to pop up. So I think they have next year for sure, maybe the year after. And then naturally, every cycle in sports, you have to start again. And I think that's what we'll get to. Yeah, Gel Paulo, I got to say, has been... It's funny to think now because it it at the time it felt like a second choice player. Like we had heard these rumors about uh, Grigori, I think his name was uh, another player in South America, and it and it seemed like he was a little bit more of a direct Aussie kind of replacement. But man, it's hard to imagine anyone anyone fitting in better than Jao Paulo. Like his his work ethic. He's got the technical abilities, but he's got that edge. He can, you know, he can do so many different things. He can play really all three uh, central midfield positions. Uh, It is, it's just remarkable how good he has been and how much better than I think the Sounders even realistically hoped he was going to be. Him, Shane O'Neill, I would say Yema. I don't think they knew that anyone was going to be this good at job. No, I agree. One of the best D-mids in the league already. He's top five at least. So, yeah, and Yama's going to be a top five centre-back for a very long time. Top three probably. So, yeah, Joe, I think it's that. I think he's he's obviously a good player. He can do the technical stuff. But he has that bite. He has that edge. He, he's running in the 88th minute. He's chasing loose balls 90th minute. Even if we're winning 3-0, he's still defending. Mm-hmm. He gets in to the opponent's face. I think we need that. That, that was always for me. When I knew I would, Aussie would get the team going because like, if in the first five minutes, you know, we're playing um, Real Salt Lake or the Galaxy and Aussie just lays out Landon Donovan, we're like, okay, we're here to play. Like he, he would go after the best player and just let them know in the first five minutes where he'll slide in on David Beckham or something like that. And Joe has that where he, he, he'll get involved with the other team's best player to just set the tone, to say like, you're not coming here and going to have the run of the field. So we haven't had that since Aussie's left because it's very tough to replace. I think Joe yeah. is the perfect replacement at this point and the depth he then gives with Svensson it's a very very well built team um, and I, I don't see weaknesses I don't see I think they needed the win against Dallas in that way because you can't always get Jordan Raul Nico to always do magic I think they more than likely will in most games but a game where they don't quite have it to still be able to keep a clean sheet find a goal from elsewhere win in a different way I think that would do wonders for their confidence because then as soon as Nico Jordan and Raul are back to the level you know you got two or three goals in you yeah you know it was, it was remarkable they hadn't won any like one zero seems like it's the most especially for good teams they always win these one zero games Sounders hadn't won any one zero games this year they'd only really won they'd only won two games by one goal which is just, that's just not how in MLS, especially that's like, you got to win those close games because you're going to be in close games. And I think that was the one area the Sounders hadn't really been tested in. And on some level, that's a testament to them because they've gone into halftime tied zero, zero a lot. And they always just kind of figure it out, pull out, you know, two or three goals. 
but this I think was important for their for their uh, mindset to to win a game like that to show that they can, especially yeah. to get a goal on a set piece when just every pass was just a little off, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. and they needed to know that they could come through even when things aren't going their way when an, an opposing coach dials yeah. up like the perfect game plan for you. Yeah, yeah, they did. I like the way Dallas played it because I think there's two th- approaches I've seen teams do. The teams that have tried to go toe to toe, so like San Jose when they came to Central Link, the Galaxy, LAFC, LAFC. Times, you, you, you'll likely get torn apart because you're leaving too. There's, there's just too much space, and it's not anything you can do. You're just not as fast as Jordan Morris. Like it just yeah. there's nothing you can actually do. So then there's teams like Portland who've done it to an extent. They will just sit very deep, and then even then it's risky because. Sure, if you score the first goal, like Portland have done a couple of times, then you can ride it out. But if Seattle scores, your game plans are done. Or everything has to go right. You have to get every luck of the balance. You have to make sure you don't slip out of position even once. And I think that's a risky approach. Dallas did a bit of both. They didn't sit all the way deep. They didn't try to go toe-to-toe. They had a good balance. They played well. And I think Schmidt said, we just made one more play that they didn't. And I think that was it. It could have gone either way. They hit the post. They had chances. Um, But I agree that Seattle had to win a game in a different way where it wasn't just, you know, Nico cross to Raul, layoff to Jordan Gold. I think you needed to win in a different way, knowing that in the next round, those guys will likely be back to their best. Yep. Yep. I, I, I agree with that. Well, uh, Steve, it's been great. I love getting you on and, and talking soccer with you and, and just yeah. kind of getting your thoughts on everything. I, I, I'm amazed. I continue to be amazed. I, I <laughs> look at all the stuff you're doing and I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> guys no, I got, <laughs> got everything. Uh, but no, I, it's been really, it's been really impressive, Steve. And, and uh, you know, looking forward to hearing you on the, on, I don't know, are you going to, how many more games are you even going to have potentially? Are you done for the year now? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it gets tricky with MLS just because the sound, when we get to playoffs, yeah. Um, national tv everything goes there so exactly. it's sort of like we, we we do less and less like myself and brad we'll, we'll still be doing um um you know our podcast but yeah in terms of games we, we that's why we enjoy being in seattle is hard because even during the season when the schedule comes out we have you know double digit national games every season so we yeah. don't do those so we like to do the, the, t- the local tv games and so yeah we'll be back on the air next year but um i'm a fan like i watch as a fan i think a lot of you have seen you know myself and brad some of these guys just grow up i came here i was 20 years old when i came to seattle seriously um, right yeah i was 20 kid. years old I'm, I'm 32 now so it's like i yeah growing up i was a player you know then i've done some media things i've been in the community with people I, a lot of people i know by name by face and it's just like it's a wonderful community great to be a part of it and i'm a fan as much as anybody i, I don't hide that um but then um it's also fun to be able to work um with the club and actually do the games and kind of paint to the listeners and viewers what the team's doing and this year has been the easiest year because some of those years when we were like one win all the way through August or July is very tough to, <laughs> to put a positive spin. It got very difficult. So this is when they're doing well like this, it's so easy to do our job, honestly. Well, you did have to figure out how to do a podcast for three months where you had nothing to talk about except for <laughs> yeah. uh, how you're stuck yeah. inside. So don't, don't be too yeah. easy on yourself. <laughs> exactly. That was tough. <laughs> I, uh, another thing I was impressed by you that you were able to keep doing new shows and coming up with new people to talk man you guys went to like the whole roster of former sounders players during that yeah time. it's good and that's been good having brad because our networks are different um so like you know he, he's been uh, there's some people i know i can call and get on any time and that's good but like he you know getting someone like we had chris wandalowski on one on one show and i don't know wonder was that well but 
Brad. So it, it's been good working with him on that as well and seeing him kind of start his journey um, here as well. And obviously he was a captain of the club, big, big player for us, um, former teammate of mine. So having him involved as well is good. And yeah, so we, we, we've had a lot of fun with it. It's just the side fingers we have not done um, many in-person shows. We did a couple and then we were shut down. So it's been all um, yeah. Zoom and teams and all other stuff but yeah it's 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 been challenging but um i think we 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 figured out a way we figured out a way and um having brad's helps and i think he's really good too i think what brad does on the tv and all of that he has his own brad dry kind of personality at times but yeah i think he's been great well if on the off chance that some of our listeners are not already listening to winging it with zach and scott i would highly recommend it it's a must listen i think for sounders fans on the yeah. on the podcast uh uh carousel so uh, oh, i appreciate that man really good appreciate stuff. it yeah and uh and best of luck with everything we'll uh i'm sure we'll be catching up soon enough always a pleasure man thanks for having me on yeah i'm sure we will be man always a pleasure thank you man all right well you're listening to the sounder at art hat uh, the sounder at heart podcast and uh that was steve zaclani uh we see you next time all right